Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the I Think It's a Classic podcast. I am your faithful slumping host, Tannis Gale, and right here beside me, I have my robot drunk friend, John Brummer. How are you doing, John? I am doing good. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm super stoked to talk about today's album, more for your benefit, because I know what this album means to you. And uh, we'll, yes. get it. we'll get into that in just a few. But, uh, John, uh, what have you been listening to this week? I, I think you're going to be disappointed in me. Mm, well, I usually am, so, I mean, it's not going to change the mood. Lately, I, I, I have to admit, I have been digging. Uh, it, it's something that I don't normally dig, but I, I have to admit that I've been digging a song called Gold Rush by... Uh, uh, Death Cab for Cutie, which is the newest single off of their newest album, and uh, I I can't just help but sing along and and kind of dance in my car every time it comes on uh, Alt Nation or Sirius XMU when I'm doing my job. I've not heard that song, but uh, I don't know. I don't hate Death Cab for Cutie. I don't like their early catalog. Like I like there was somebody that I used to live with that listened to that album Plans a lot, and I came to be like, oh, I get it. I get it with this one. Like. I get why people like this band, but all that earlier stuff, like this is the new year, and uh, just a pass on. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't handle most of their stuff. I mean, up to this point, the only song that I have dug by them was uh, "Soul Meets Body." Yeah, that's a great song. I like. It I'll, is. I will follow you into the dark, or whatever the actual title of that song. That little like ballady ass, like. That's like I think one it of, is called I Will Follow You Into the Dark. Yeah, that's like one of those, like, congratulations, man. You wrote one of those goddamn songs that people dance to at their weddings. That's, you can't, <laughs> you can't, you can't knock something like that, you know. The the really fun thing is if you're driving with someone, I, I've been doing this to my kid lately every time Gold Rush comes on because there's, a, it's like almost like a sample of someone's voice go, saying Gold Rush over and over again. And I won't sing along to any of the other words, but I will look him as I'm driving. I will turn my head towards him and I will go, Gold Rush, every time that they say it. And it's become my favorite thing to do. <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. Anything else you've been listening yes. to? Or just uh, one song? Just one song over oh, okay. and over and over again. <laughs> no wonder yeah, your son it, hates you been... already. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> There's been random stuff, but nothing has been stuck with me uh, like quite like that song has. Oh, actually, um, another song I had stuck in my head because we we ended up not going to the Growlers like I uh, had uh, mentioned last week. Yeah, we ended up uh, w- the plan was to go to the Mall of America, ride rides all day, then go see the Growlers. And about thirty minutes away from here, I realized I forgot the credentials that proved that Noah is my son in order to get him into the First Avenue in Minneapolis. Yeah, I mean, he's a pretty handsome kid, so I I, I don't yeah. doubt it. <laughs> Most people would not believe that he's mine. It's like, that's your son? No, I don't think so. He's pleasant to look at. <laughs> and uh, while I was there... <laughs> yeah, I'm Sorry, just going, I'm done. Ignore... Oh, just kidding, it's the Roast John right podcast. <laughs> just going to talk shit to you this entire time. But well. While we were riding uh, the rides, I kept there was this girl that we kept running into that had an Arctic Monkeys shirt on, and I remember that uh, the newest song that they have uh, 
and all of a sudden the name's escaping me, but it, it's been permeating my brain. I, I, I keep getting it stuck in my head. And after that, I actually downloaded the whole album and listened to it on the way home. It's, a, it's, it's pretty different for them. It's very loungy and dark and brooding. So I've been digging it. Well, I have been listening to um, something I rediscovered over the last uh, two days because my, uh, my lady brought a bunch of CDs into my car. To, you know, so she doesn't have to listen to nails and converge every time we drive around. But, um, <laughs> like, uh, she had the, I was, you know, I just fall more and more in love with this chick as I get to more, know more about her because she's going through the, I'm going through the CDs that she brought and I'm like, oh, sweet speaker box and the love below. I haven't heard this in forever. And then I was like, oh, sweet oh. around the fur white pony and the self-titled Deftones. Oh, that's solid. And then I get a little further and I'm like, you have all the Pretty Girls Make Graves albums? And so I've been listening to the... Oh, that's weird. I've been listening to Good Health a bunch. That's what it's called, right? Good Health. I, I don't know. I I never... I didn't get... Com, like, Zach, can I get a confirmation in the chat from you on that? You know, it's not in the case. It was just the CD, so I recognized it kind of immediately and just threw it in, and I've been listening to that a bunch. And um, I never gave it a shot when it came out, but the Black Lips album, uh, Satan's Graffiti or God's Art, Oh, that one's so good. Is I'm loving it. And I had no idea that they had uh, axed half of the band and got some new people in there. Yeah, I didn't know that until uh, we they walked on stage when we, me and Noah saw them open for the Black <laughs> Angels. Yeah, and they have that, uh, they, they, that woman, Zumi Rosnow, like playing saxophone and singing on some songs. And it's just like, oh, I, I can't believe you found a way to make this band better. I'm always going to miss, like... The vocals of Ian St. Pierre and uh, the the drummer, I which I'm well, drawing a blank on the drummer's name. To but, uh, be fair, they didn't axe them. Those guys quit on their own. And it was, I, I've read interviews where they um, they were really like kind of heartbroken about it and didn't know how they were going to continue. Yeah, well, I understand that. And I noticed, I did notice it must have been amicable because on the Blacklist's uh, Spotify, they have a couple of artist playlists. And one was a studio mood playlist for uh, them recording yeah. the album I'm speaking of. And then the other was um, Artists We Love and Lost in 2017. And so they had some Charles Bradley. And then they had uh, St. Pear on there. Yeah, he still plays. Or St. Pay, sorry. St. Pay. And if it's yeah. a solo album, it's a little more dialed back, standard rock and roll. But I listened to that a little bit and I was like pleasantly surprised. Yeah, he uh he'll he'll still show up, you know, he'll still play with them whenever he's around. Both of those uh guys leaving, the drummer and Saint Pei, um were very amicable. The other thing too is uh Cole is dating Zumi. Yeah, yeah, I learned that because she I saw her in the Crystal Knight video and I was yeah. like, Who is this? And then I looked up and like half the pictures are of him and her like hanging out and being cute as hell. So I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I got yeah. it. But yeah, I mean, so, good good for them. Like, I just, it's, yeah, it makes right. me happy that a band like that can evolve from a real childish, but like really good garage act on their like first album, you know? Yeah. To just, they are, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with. And with a band that's ridden the road as hard as they have through the years, I'm really surprised they're still putting out quality work as often as they are. Well, me too. Uh, you know who produced that album, right? Uh, don't tell me, because I, uh, oh, I was pleasantly surprised by, uh, Sean Lennon, right? Yeah, because yes. Yoko Ono's on that first song. 
And it was funny as I was listening to it, I was like, I remember hearing there was like a guest appearance from somebody kind of like from from older rock and roll. And I couldn't remember who it was. And then as soon as the screaming started happening, I was like, oh, that's right. Yoko Ono. (laughs) Shit. That's right. That's right. Okay. (laughs) Kind of made me loud. Just... (laughs) <laughs> there's at least three of their albums that we're going to end up doing on this podcast. Oh, yeah. I want to do one of them soon, actually. That and sounds good to me. Let's get into today's album. John, you want to tell us what we're going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about one of my all-time favorite albums, The Software Slump. And actually, it's, it's, it's by Granddaddy. Uh, the shameful thing about this album is that while it was highly critically acclaimed when it came out, it is often called the best album you've never heard for a reason. Um, these guys weren't exactly topping the charts with their album sales. And I think that that's a shame. Yeah, they're a really high-quality band. Um, why don't you tell me real quick, why don't you share with everybody how you got into Granddaddy, because... My my getting into Granddaddy literally picks up with you getting this album. So why don't you get us to that point? That actually, I'm going to save that for one of the songs because it has a story behind it. Oh, okay. Um, then we will save it for yeah. one of those songs. And I'll let everybody know that, yeah, I got into this album um, when I was in high school. When John and I first started hanging out, <clears throat> he had just picked it up. It, he was really stoked about it. Uh, he would not uh, let this me... This wasn't when we... This wasn't when we first started hanging out because we started hanging out in high school, and this came out after I. Oh, bro, this is my. This is still my freshman year. It came out right before. So, it, I mean, it was within the first year of us hanging out on a regular basis. I mean, we've known each other since I was in eighth grade, but this was a couple yeah. years after that well, when, we were, when I was actually able to spend my free time to drive around in your shitty blue van and smoke cigarettes all night. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I'm I I didn't get this until a year after it came out. I think. Oh, okay. Was, well, I could be. I was you like know, nineteen. It's high school, yeah. so I could be conflating the years a little bit. Like a lot of that period um runs together with me because that's when I discovered underground music with you. Uh, I mean, yeah, it was literally hanging out with you and uh, Zach and some of our other Oak Harbor friends. That was my introduction to, hey, do you know there's stuff besides MTV and radio music, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Exactly. I thought that only happened like with Roadrunner Records, man. You mean there's, you mean there's, like, <laughs> there's just like deeper shit? You know, Tannis, I- I'm sorry to tell you this, but there are other bands besides Limp Bizkit. Well, yeah, there's Slipknot and Korn, but I mean... Well, yeah, and you forgot about uh, Disturbed, too. Well, I, hey, man, I'm not... I'm- I'm not trying to get to the extreme shit right now. I mean, let's... <laughs> let's... Ch- <laughs> God, we're getting off track so hard already. We're in for an uphill climb today, folks. Yay! <laughs> but no, really, I discovered this album. I remembered you wouldn't let me borrow it. And uh, I was like, how am I ever supposed to hear this? I remembered specifically one of the songs that we'll get to. It was uh, Jed's other poem, Beautiful Ground. And I was able to find that on Napster. And so for the longest time, I had just that song in my MP3 player and in my my parents' hard drive. And I, I loved that song a lot. And then I never picked up this album and listened to it again until you said, hey, let's do this album for the podcast. So that's where I'm at with my uh, 
software slump experience. Let's take a look at the first track and get right into it with He's Simple, He's Dumb, He's the Pilot. And uh, let's hear a little bit of that. It's just nice to have you back again But I guess they still don't understand This song I thoroughly enjoy, and at 8 minutes and 53 seconds long, I was, uh... Really surprised uh, when researching this album to learn that it was the second single? Yeah, that is one of the weirder things about this album. That that This song is amazing. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. It's supremely epic. And you would think it wouldn't be a single, but, I mean, none of these songs really charted, so it's not like there was a video made for it or anything, but it was one of the more popular live songs. Yeah, and I, I just can't believe a nine-minute song like this that starts so sleepy would uh, be such a big song for the band. But, I mean, you listen to it, and it just breezes by. Like, that's the one thing that I really noticed about this song. Like, it didn't it doesn't feel like nine minutes listening to it. Well, yeah, and it, it took me a while to realize that it was, like, close to nine minutes. It, it, it just flows perfectly. And the one thing, too, that I find weird is, like, most people, when they reviewed this album... They compared the whole thing to this being like America's answer to OK Computer. And I would actually say that this is more of a modern dark side of the moon. It, it <laughs> oh, cool. I'm feels... not going to feel like an idiot for making that comparison. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, in oh, fact, I thought you were going to give me so much shit when I brought that up. Like, oh, okay. no, uh, with, with the, the, the few, I mean, a few similarities in the songs towards the end. I don't see where they got the comparisons to OK Computer almost at all. Besides the fact that that was the album that came out, what, like three years beforehand, and it was a buzzword. Well, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's, you know, it's especially music journalism when it came to, I mean, it's it's mostly shit. It's mostly people talking out of their asses. Exactly what we're doing right here. Like, just, well, it's, exactly. it's full of opinion, and it's full of hyperbole. But I gotta disagree with you where I, I I do understand where that it's a comparison to OK Computer because musically you have this really melodic, sensitive pop with a uh, vocalist who sounds as sensitive as the music sounds. And uh that mixing of technology with analog instruments, I mean, it's literally set off in motion by this song. It's like this is what we're in for. We're not just doing some 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 moogie keyboards over some rock it's it's a full sound and i'm kind of uh losing my train of thought here but do you understand what i mean yeah like, i mean why i think I, that's I, a good I, comparison it, like i said that there is some i mean really the comparisons towards okay computer are more on the latter half but you know then again when okay computer came out they were heavily compared to pink floyd themselves I think this is more Dark Side of the Moon influence, but all you know, I mean, Jason Lytle himself has said that you know he's heavily into uh, electric light orchestra, so th those influences are very apparent too. Well, uh, I but, Zach, Zach was kind of adding something here in chat that uh, is kind of you know kind of clarifying. I think what I was trying to say, and it's um, it's more Radiohead esque. 
you know, it's I guess very much musically in the style and like because I don't know, it, it kind of seemed like in the '90s it was like you did one thing or you did the other. You were either the Chemical Brothers or you were the Stone Temple Pilots. You know, there was no in between with rock and using electronics to besides just having some keyboards. And there's all these cool yeah. programmed arpeggios and really computerized sounding synths on this album that were kind of, you know, reminiscent of OK Computer. And I mean, the lyrical, Zach was also pointing out the lyrical things, talking about computers and namely androids or robots. I mean, that's... There, there's something different there. I mean, I, I didn't think it was... It could, I was even, before we came to record this, I was reading a Pitchfork uh, reveal where they essentially were like, you know, why are they even bothering to recreate something someone already did? And I'm like, this isn't exactly okay. Oh, okay. Well, is, well, that, yeah. yeah. Well, fuck that kind of talk. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> and, and, I, I mean, totally I get do, you there. I do realize it was Pitchfork, and Pitchfork is full of a bunch of assholes, but... I mean, if you guys want to give me a job, Pitchfork, if you like our podcast, please throw us, throw us up on your site. But yeah, fuck you. We can be those assholes. That's what I'm. That's all I was saying. Yeah. See how good we are at this. Shit. But I can understand um, your aversion to that kind of hyperbole. That kind of just. <laughs> the one thing I, I definitely have to say about this song is, from the first listen that I ever gave to this whole album to now, it still hits me in the gut when it ends with the repeating of the line over and over again, did you love this world and did this world not love you? Last week when you were talking about the, the lyrics hitting you for, for Neurosis's A Sun That Never Sets, this album, I know every word pretty much front to back. Like maybe, you know, with the exception of, did he say the or of, you know, like, but, you know, I pretty much know every single word on this album. I can sing along with it. Those words have stuck with me for it's close to 20 years now. And I was also wrong. I was kind of looking up uh, when me and my dad saw Granddaddy the first time. It looks like that was November of 2000. So I would have probably have gotten this in the summer of 2000. Yeah, that's a, so you would have been going into well. sophomore. Yeah. Or after sophomore year, because my school year is always it was easy because like ninth grade. Ended in ninety nine. Soft, you know. Tenth grade ended in two thousand. Eighth grade ended in ninety. Okay, so yeah, yeah, you would have been a sophomore, and we would have just graduated. I, I think I remember because uh, there was about two months there after I graduated where I didn't have a job. I remember being with our good friend Zach and going over to Kevin's house. And we were going to drink some beers or something. And they were like, hey, do you have any new music? And I was like, I just got this album and you guys got to hear it. And I put it on and it instantly killed the party. <laughs> and I realized then that I should not be in control of music at parties. <laughs> no, let's just sit and listen, guys. I know we're having a fun time. But haven't you ever thought about no, that? Like, Are we drinking too ever... much? <laughs> If you don't have anything else to say, I am. I think I've said everything I need to say about how great he's simple, he's dumb, he's the pilot is. Yeah, I think it's great too. Great opener. Um, yeah, so let's move on to the second track of this album, and uh, we'll hear a little bit of Hewlett's Daughter. Don't be nice, 
to get to that little part but yeah hewlett's daughter um right off the top i'm gonna let you take the lead on this one because honestly uh reading the lyrics and listening to the song i don't know what the fuck this song is like okay so it's oddly enough the most abstract thing like lyrically on the album to me like there's there's... and, and it's weird because this is a very poppy song i mean this should have been a a fairly decent single I, I could have seen this getting played along with whatever else was getting played on, like the end or you know modern alternative radio in the year two thousand. the The thing is, is that there is stuff that makes sense about the lyrics in the song, but it's kind of also there's a lot of different imagery thrown in there. I don't know what this has to do with Hewlett's daughter. I've never known. I remember specifically listening to the song with our good friend Zach. And I brought up the fact that I absolutely love the line. It's high above the wrecks with ice shelves and glaciers with Crash United sewn on all of my dress shirts. And I, I said to Zach, I love that line. And he goes, why? And I was like, I don't know, but it sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it is... is um, referring to the fact that he used to actually work in a waste management center yeah like treating i mean he would treat water at night and that's how they actually bought the equipment needed to start the band another thing that is worth noting on this that i didn't realize until recently i mean i went years of listening to this album thinking that maybe a majority of the songs were written by jason lytle but you know it was all performed by a band in recent years it is I have discovered that this was all Jason Lytle, uh, with the exception of using their drummer for a lot of the non-electronic drums. It was him. I mean, there, there's a funny quote where essentially he um, talks about how he was, it was, here, I'll just read what the quote says. I just remember everything out there was dusty, humidity and dust, and described having made the recordings in my boxing shorts bent over keyboards with sweat dripping off my forehead, frustrated, hungover, and trying to call my Coke dealer. (laughs) This was all done by him, and apparently just like some warehouse that they had converted into a a recording studio. That's fucking And I didn't know that. Yeah, and and, and the, the crazy thing too is when you talk about like the albums that this was compared to, OK Computer was a group effort uh dark side of the moon even though you know that uh, is largely attributed to roger waters it was a group effort and i've read recently that you know Raj didn't even play bass on that album but here's jason lionel literally playing almost every instrument writing all of the music putting it all together producing it i mean i think with the exception of him having his drummer come in and play you know on a lot of these songs he was probably by himself this whole time yeah, it's amazing. I also learned that and uh, <laughs> read that same easily findable quote. <laughs> Probably yeah. got it from the same yeah. source. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really uh, kind of cool learning about this and kind of this is one of those albums that's. I mean, it's it's one thing to make music with a band, and it's amazing to work with a number of people and turn out something amazing. This is really indicative of like what a singular vision in music can really do. Oh, exactly. 
when, when I was, you know, reading through a few reviews over the, the week, anytime that they would uh, bring up, you know, the, the few very little weaknesses that this album has, I would just be reminded of, you know, those are things I can forgive, you know, <laughs> really with uh, how much of this he poured his heart and soul into did by himself. I, I think they can be forgiven. <laughs> hey, uh, real quick, Zach was saying uh, in regards to uh, the, the meaning of the lyrics here in chat, he's saying to him, it means lost love in a post-apocalyptic future. And that's what the song sounds like to him with glaciers, floods, stealing weapons. And all right. I, that's better than yeah. anything I could come up with, and I can totally see it, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I also think that this is probably... I, I think a lot of the imagery is maybe cold from, you know, slowly going insane due to being so alone. Could be. You know, while he's work, You know, like, because it's obvious, you know, he's working, he's doing things, and... Well, and he maybe, doesn't have a know, love, and he wants to be this dude's son. Yeah. And you know, haven't you ever worked by yourself? I mean, I work by myself all the time, and I have all sorts of crazy thoughts. Yeah, but it was in a through my head. It was in a shop that sold pornography, so <laughs> I kind of just had to make sure perverts didn't steal and people weren't smoking crack in the booths in the back. You know, I mean. Yeah. See, you had more interest. In, like right now, when I'm by myself, I'm driving for hours at a time. So. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, do you have anything else to say about Hewlett's daughter? Oh, real quick, I would just want to say that um, I, I I do. Let me answer my own question. I um, <laughs> I just love in the I don't know what instrument it is, but when it, there's that little solo of that kind of uh, sounds like a like a mechanical guitar or something. Yeah, but, like but, like um like a steel guitar, but synth like. Yeah, or like a shitty banjo effect on a keyboard. You know, that's yeah. what it, that's what it sounds like. That's what it is. Um, but that whole guitar crash with the snare rolls, it's just comes out of nowhere and it's just super heavy for like two seconds that happens a few yeah, times. When... That's just like five stars, dude. I love that part so much. Like it's this album just twists and turns and it all flows together so well. Yeah, that was uh, one of the things that my dad pointed out to me when he first showed me this album, that the drumming was very simple, except for that one part. And he made sure to point it out to me. <laughs> anyway, if you have nothing else, let's go on to the next song, because otherwise I'm going to end up telling the whole story before we get to the song that it goes with. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on and uh, let's talk about the next song and hear a little bit of Jed the Humanoid. So this song kind of serves as a part one to something that happens later in the album. And um, I don't know, uh, this is really sad and melancholy. And all I really have to say about it is it's the best song ever written about building a robot and then neglecting it to the point of fatal alcoholism that I've ever heard. I mean, yeah, well, obviously, I don't don't think there was many songs written about that subject, but... I think that we, you know, especially all of us in our, our group of friends that were hanging out at that time, uh, could definitely find something worth noting about this song that, that were personal 
very personal because you know we were all kind of doing you know what what they talk about where you know drinking every drop and it's like um, we were all jed and we all built each other to certain degrees exactly although it was funny um i was in a uh chat or like a comment thread in a meme group that i'm in and uh someone was saying something about making one of uh the other people in the group an alcoholic in their own image and i was like oh this would be a perfect time to post this song and so i did and then someone's like was there a point to your song like (laughs) yeah obviously you didn't listen or you didn't listen close enough but it was exactly what you guys were talking about (laughs) you know there, there was nothing no more way that i could have made that point more blunt but yeah this this is one of the sadder songs on the album in an album of fairly morose and depressing music for sure it's a total bummer yes just like you said to me the other night it's a bummer <laughs> uh what a good bummer it is though this album is a good bummer um zach's, yes. zach in chat is making an elton john comparison and saying wasn't goodbye yellow brick road about the tin man ODing on coke i have no idea <laughs> i'm not an elton john fan <laughs> Well, all right, I don't have anything else to say about Jed the Humanoid, because I know whatever you're going to want to talk about, you're going to want to talk about in a, another couple of songs. So Yes, uh, actually the next song. Oh, the next song? Yes, sir. Is the one? Not not the part two to this? Nope. Oh! Nope. All right. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's move on to the next song. This song was the first single off this album. This is The Crystal Lake. Fuck, I love this song, John. This is my favorite song on the album. I honestly, oh, it, it's, it's... I honestly thought Jed's other poem would be, because that's the song that I first got familiar with, and I've just loved for years, over a decade at this point. Closer to 20 yeah. years, which is yeah, insane to, to think years. about. It hit me, man. It hit me. It's well, just gorgeous song... power pop, and that, like... I'm 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 the master at drawing bad comparisons here, and that like Final Fantasy like arpeggio that's just going on throughout the whole song just puts this sense of wonder, this childlike wonder on it, and it just puts me back in this place where I just didn't know what the world was yet, you know? Well yeah. The the thing about this song, I don't know how this album didn't sell more because of this song. This song should have been all over the place, playing everywhere. You should have been walking into gro- you should be able to walk into grocery stores today and hear this song playing over the radio because it's still one of the relics from the early two thousands. You know, like I, I shouldn't have to hear "Hold My Hand" by the Hootie and the Blowfish. This this should be like you know something that permeated the pop culture and never let go. Now, um, I, now I have "Hold My Hand" stuck in my head. Well, you're welcome. Well, I'm going to love you the best uh, that I can. No, don't do this. Don't do this to me. With uh, a little love and some tenderness. 
Yeah, are you done yet? I got it out of my system. Good. Uh, I'm very sorry for that, everyone. I will never bring up Hootie and the Blowfish again. Well, ex- but... except for when we review Cracked Review on our next episode. <laughs> this was the first song I ever heard by them. Zach gave me that. This idea. was also... This was also the, the... This album was introduced to me by my dad. He, you know, he introduced me to a lot of music growing up as I was in, like, middle school and stuff. You know, there was some other cool bands that he introduced me to, but I didn't think that this would be an album that he would be introducing me to. Like, this should have been one that I found on my own and introduced to everybody else. I, I kind of really screwed the pooch on this one. And he apparently heard this song, The Crystal Lake, while he was working as a general manager at Taco Bell. <laughs> it was playing over the PA and he was like, oh my God, this is awesome. He remembered a few words like you had like in order to find out songs, we didn't have Shazam or Soundhound. So you had to remember a few words and then go home later and then Google it. And that's what he did. And he showed me this song and I was like, wow, like this is awesome. I, I, you know, I mean, this is before really Google, loved- though. I mean, let's be real. Your dad was probably asking Jeeves, bro. Oh, it's possible. I mean, it's possible he was. A- I think Google was ninety nine. Really? Or what was? It? Yeah, I I could have swore it was right around this time because I mean we had DSL cable or DSL uh, internet, so we had high speed internet by this time. And uh, I remember him talking yeah. about Google and yada yada yada. You know, I was always always a Yahoo guy for the longest time until everything but Google pretty much went away. It's it's possible he he was using Yahoo, but for the purposes of moving the story along he went home and he googled it i just wanted to make the ask jeeves joke is that really too much john i don't think i'm sorry but um yeah i i heard that and i was like oh my god this i've always loved synths. i've always loved a good synth melody and this is probably in the top three of like best ones of all time well, and this and, song is where I really felt the OK compa- computer comparison, because that guitar lead that finishes the song with the synth and everything, when it really just starts rocking, that's Johnny Greenwood as fuck. Yeah, it definitely has a paranoid Android feel to it. I fell in love with this album immediately because of this song. I think it's one of the most perfect pop songs. Obviously, I said that it should have been a bigger hit. We'll get into more of that in a few songs. So let's move on to the next song. Let's hear a little bit of Charts and Graphs. This song's a... Freaking blast, man. I mean, this is just yeah. out power pop perfection. Go, go. It, it, it was surprising for this to, you know, when I first heard this, to for this to pop up out of nowhere, especially after the Crystal Lake. I mean, because this is the most rocking song on the album. And it's this definitely shows their roots. Uh, you know, they were more of a, a like kind of like a speed punk band before they started kind of getting into the the uh, pavement stuff. And one of the interesting things about Jason Lytle was he was, and actually, uh, God, I can't remember what the other band member's name is, but uh, they were actually both pro skaters before they joined this band. 
Oh, no shit. Was it Jim yeah, Fairchild? Is, yes, Fairchild, which is, it, it's a weird thing to think of that, you know, guys that used to, you know, skate, band, you know, came out, you know, ended up in this band where it's, you know, kind of more sensitive about feelings, uh, but not in the same way that like, you know, early 2000s, like bands like Taking Back Sunday and oh, uh, Hawthorne Heights, those kinds of bands were about feelings. This This is more in tune with you know it's more organic this is less you know my girlfriend laughed me and now i'm sad and it's more like trying to to come to grips in a world that's increasingly less easy to navigate and this is you know probably why i i have you know such an emotional attachment to this album is because i have felt that my whole life the thing that I really took from it, on top of just loving it on a surface level, which I gotta be honest, this is what this song is to me. It's just kind of a surface level pop song, a really strong and solid one. And that overpowering kind of keyboard lead that comes in to finish off the song is just, yeah. it really solidifies it as being a part of this album. Because for the first, until that happens, this just sounds almost out of place, but in a good way. But yeah, yeah, in between well, the, the all this other stuff. Here's a here's a the pixie funny... song, you know, and I mean that. In the, <laughs> I'm dead serious. I, it sounds like a fucking pixie song, like every single well, part I, of I it. Well, I actually, and I, in a good when way. I was listening to it. I was listening to it. Uh, you know, during you know during the multiple times I listened to it this week, I would say that there's actually a pretty heavy Black Flag influence in this song too. It, it's it's like a slower Black Flag song. I could if they sped it up a little bit and had him, you know, just like yell things over it it could be like almost you know it could have fit on slip it in or one of the later black flag albums the other thing that was great about this song when i really got into this album the only other person that really at the time i think felt as strongly about this album as i did was sozy and when i convinced him to buy a, a synthesizer so we could you know write songs like this I remember how happy he was and how excited he was when he figured out that that synth line at the end of the song. He, he it was almost like he was a little kid, like coming running up to me, going, "Look what I can do! Look what I can do! Look what I can do!" <laughs> I'd be yeah. I'd be pretty stoked too. That's a fun. It's probably super fun to play. It's enjoyable as oh, hell to yeah. listen to. Yeah, exactly. You have anything else to but, say about uh, charts and graphs, John? Uh, what no. a a song! It's, it's a portmanteau. Thank you, Zach, in yes. chat. Portmanteau. That's what that's called when you slam a bunch of words together to make one. Oh, oh I thought he was talking about... I, was th- I thought he was talking about the end synth line of the song. No. No, no. Well, because portmanteau is a musical term. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess, I guess not... you're saying words have more than one definition, John. Whatever crazy train. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, portmanteau. Oh, no, no. Portmanteau, like as port- in French. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not portmanteau like Natalie Portman's like feet appendages. Yeah, I get it. Gotcha. I was confused. Or I should have said, not portmanteau. What Quentin Tarantino really wanted to see in episode one. Uh oh. Mm. Oh, better hold me back, John. This this <laughs> I took the duct tape that said censored off my mouth. I'm off the leash. We're gonna get crazy in here, and we're gonna no, get. It's going. We're going to get crazy with this next song. Let's hear a bit, little bit of Underneath the Weeping Willow.
happy again. Woo! It's a wild and crazy one. I I gotta that say one is this is the my craziest song on the album. I gotta say this is my least favorite song on the album. I find it to just be kind of a sleeper, and really the only saving grace that keeps it from being just an odd duck, in my opinion, is that little tiptoe piano that's just dancing around in the background throughout the entirety of the song. The thing about this song, I mean, I talk about you know personal experience and, and emotional attachments to the music and whatever. I have had so many moments in my life where I'm just like, I I literally just want to go to sleep. I, you know, like curl up into a ball and just forget about everything going on. And I think he encapsulates that feeling perfectly with the song. I do, you know, I understand where someone could think that, you know, this is just filler. But the other thing that happens in any great concept album is they bring back a riff or a musical motif from earlier and the main chords of the song are the ending the outro chords to he's simple he's dumb he's the pilot which i think is a brilliant callback to that song i can get what you're okay i see what you're saying especially with what happens next on the album that's a really cool way to do things yeah or, I mean, I'm sorry, in two songs, I should say. My apologies, which is exactly the break you get in between. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm with you a little bit more on that. I mean, I don't think it's crap or anything. I just I just found myself wanting to skip past it. I haven't really been in yeah. the mood for sad music lately, and this was just like, a, okay, I'm, I'm good on this. <laughs> okay. And, yeah, you know, that that's... This definitely... This album takes it needs a mood you can't be like you know at the the top of your game and be like you know what i want to throw on the software slump you know <laughs> it, it just doesn't it doesn't work it, it's not one of those albums that'll get you pumped up to go to the gym you know it's like hey man i thought you were gonna go out drinking tonight why are you getting ready with the software slump oh i'm doing it by myself oh okay <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to spend the night under a blanket drinking this Jack Daniels and crying. So this is my soundtrack. (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything else to say about Underneath a Weeping Willow? No, I don't. Let's uh, listen to the next song and dig into even more dystopian imagery with the very awesomely named Broken Household Appliance National Forest. Let's hear a little bit of that. You know, um, when thinking about this album and realizing we were going to go over it today, um, I got a... Oh, thank you for the host, Cliff. Um, For those podcast listeners, um, come check me out on Mixer right now under Swamp Lord DG, soon to be under the I Think It's a Classic name. But I was just hosted by my friend Davion505, and I appreciate it very much. Get some more viewers and listeners. All right, back to the topic. Uh, Broken Household Appliance National Forest. This was one of the songs I remembered most from what little I remember of hearing this album when we were younger. 
Like, this always yeah. stuck out to me. Like, I'm glad you didn't give me, you weren't going to give me crap for the uh, Dark Side of the Moon comparison that I'm going to especially bring up later. I'm going to do another, I'm going to do another Floyd comparison. And uh, this really sounded to me like uh, Roger Waters wrote Weezer a song. And he's like, here you go, boys. <laughs> That's... <laughs> I would have never put that together, but that is an awesome, that is an awesome way to describe this song. Like that, yeah, hats off to you, sir. That was good. Thank Um, you very much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, the title, I mean, it's, yeah, the title is very wordy, and um, there's that song on the final cut that this title always reminds me of the the fletcher memorial home oh yes yes Yes. i remember the title being the whole thing that he says in there but i guess it's just the fletcher Uh, but just that that subject of i don't know talking about somewhere nobody wants to be (laughs) i i honestly i don't think anything i could say about this song would be a on the nose, as on the nose, or as great as what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, the the song, it's a great song. The only thing I did, I mean, it took me a while to get into is the kind of the, the, the starts and stops where, you know, you have your pretty verses and then it kind of fades out. I've had a love-hate relationship with the song, mostly love, but sometimes I find myself, like, getting a little irked by the the weird way that it flows yeah it, it does uh, feel a little bit like did we have to stop this many times i almost feel like they could have just done it once the whole thing could have been like minute 40 long and boom excellent exactly i mean i it's possible that he just felt that he needed because you know some of these songs are right around the three minute mark or under <laughs> and so he probably thought he needed another one or two more songs. Okay, I, I did forget oh. that it kind of ends like this with the guitar solo, and I'll... I just turned it up a little bit towards the end of this song, and I did forget about that part. So it ends really strong, though. I mean, yeah, the the, the solo at the end of it is really good. Yeah, I get um, what you mean with the stop start though being a little um, yeah, it's a little rigid. It, it just didn't, yeah, it didn't feel like it flowed well. But I mean, still to get you know the awesome chorus and even you know the, the verses are awesome. I, I I you know put up with it with that little grievance that I have because it is all in all a great song. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, if, if we don't have anything to um, say about Broken Household Appliance National Forest, uh, let's move on to the next song, the extremely. And atmospheric Jed's other poem, parentheses, beautiful ground. And let's hear a little bit of that. Uh, why don't you start us off with this one, John? I absolutely love this song. The other thing that I was going to say uh, that I kind of left off at Crystal Lake 
this was the second song that my dad showed me on this album and as soon as we got done with the song i mean i had already made the decision i need to own this album i need to listen to this a billion times uh this song it's so achingly beautiful and in, in it's in a weird way too because there's obviously some you know humorous lines in the song and you know it, it and and jason has said that you know this was kind of his humorous way of looking at his own alcoholism and i think he puts it perfectly when he says he tries to sing it funny like back but it's bringing him down yeah to because reference you, the you, singer you that only... we uh, talked about on our very first episode bringing it right back around jason little thank you very much it, you uh you can joke about things and run away from them as long as you want but you know eventually you have to you have to face reality and i think that's kind of a, a thing that he was realizing himself at that point while writing this song the uh the other thing too is is that this is definitely another callback to the end of uh um the 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 end piano on this is a callback to the way that he's dumb he's the pilot um ends yeah for sure and um it's referencing i mean the whole song is a reference to jed the humanoid the the alcoholic robot that was built in the third track and um this song also plays to me after listening to this album as a whole i mean before it what this song kind of meant to me and um i know all the words to it like it's one of those songs that I could just sing whenever I want. Like, it's, yeah. uh, I, I just love it a lot and um and have for years. But it's always been kind of like a loser's poem to himself, you know, to me. That's what it kind of always meant until I listened to the whole album today. Then I realized it's, if he's comparing this to himself, then uh, he's kind of going back through his destroyed life. And it's like he's finding old artifacts from his destroyed life and actually thinking about them this time. Yeah, because the it's it's almost like Jed, this this robot that he's kind of put himself in the shoes of, it seems, with a lot of the analogies and pieces of interviews that I've read. It seems like this yeah. is like an after Jed was dead, they found this poem. Oh, this is Jed's other poem that we never saw, you know, like. And it's, well, actually, this is called Jed's other poem because in the EP that was released before this album came out. There was a track on there called Jetty Three's Poem, which is actually probably even more haunting than this one. This track is. You asked me to listen to that EP, and I uh, could not. I don't have Apple Music if it's on there, and I I could not find it on Spotify, and uh, didn't really have the time for a YouTube listen. Ah, uh, so well, at some point you should go and listen to it because that it, that track in particular is very good. I will indeed. I will indeed. Do you have anything else to say about Jed's other poem, Parenthetical Beautiful nope. Ground? I, right. I I honestly would I would think that I would have more to say about it, but I think the song kind of speaks for it. Yeah, and I kind of talked about it earlier. I mean, this is my introduction to Granddaddy. I've loved this song for almost 20 years, and yeah, it's great. Well, actually, I do have one more thing to say. So. There is a thing that my dad likes to do, and that is... When we talk about albums that I like now, he likes to pretend that I didn't like them then. And this is one of the albums that he kind of likes to throw at me as in, you didn't like this at first. It took you a while to get into it. And I was like, but 
No, I mean, Greg, you're wrong. He no. I remember <laughs> when he bought this. After... He he couldn't shut up about it. I remember when you bought this. It was you. You had a big deal, and you hung up that poster right in the wall after you saw their show. Like you had that poster on your fucking wall forever, man. You still have yeah. that that software slump show poster. I don't think so. I don't think I have any of the posters from back then. Yeah, I don't have my Icarus Line Pennant Soiree poster either, or my sign yeah, today I... is the day poster. That... Those are my those are my two ones that hurt. I think once I moved out of my my mom's house that I uh, I think I threw all of those away. I I had to. I didn't have any room for them at the when we moved in together because I didn't put any. Or maybe I had them, but I threw them away once I moved from Oak Harbor to Bellingham. Oh, that's probably it. Because I was like, no, you still had that, and like the Doyle poster was still around. Uh, I think the Doyle poster was still around because I gave that. I we put that up. In the living room. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coolest goddamn poster ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, so... Oh! oh Zach says he thinks he stole the Doyle post. Most likely. <laughs> I It was up there in the... I know it was up in the hallway or near the, the living room. So I wasn't that upset about it. <laughs> it wasn't in good condition either. That thing was falling apart. All right, um, enough about Jed's other poem. Let's go to the next track and... I feel like this is going to be a pretty short discussion. Uh, this is the E. Knievel interlude. Parenthetical, the perils of keeping it real. And uh, let's hear a little bit of that right now. Yeah, that's that. It's a... Uh... It's an interlude. I don't. I don't yeah, have anything it, to say about it. It doesn't sound bad. I, it's not what I would call. Oh, this is good. It's just. It's fine. It is what it is. It's setting it's, you up for the one-two punch at the end of the album. It serves its purpose exactly. perfectly. I mean, it, it, when I'm listening to the whole album, I don't skip it. Just like when you. Just like when you're listening to a sun that never sets as a whole, you don't skip resound. But if you're just trying to exactly. listen to a couple of songs, you fucking skip resound. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah, if it comes up on shuffle, I, I don't. I, I skip this one. Let's go on to minor at a dial at the dial of you. So this song is um sad as hell, and you know what it made me really relate to, oddly enough? What was that? I mean, maybe maybe I had an easier time relating it to what I'm about to say, because my my dad, I grew up a Navy kid, but um, like this, this whole thing is kind of like a sci-fi view, or sci-fi story from the point of view of an interplanetary miner who has to go away to do his job, leave his family and friends behind while... Their life goes on, he's just working and doing this one thing, and he gets the chance to look back on Earth and see what's going on with everybody, and they're just moving on because he's got 15 years out there. This song really made me kind of, like, sympathize with what it must be like to be on deployment as a serviceman, you know? Like in the Navy yeah. or 
the army, more than the Navy, and I'm not trying to knock any branch of the military or how hard you work by saying this, but just from my father's personal experience, he was, um, he wasn't, he wasn't in conflicts. He was more, yeah, he, he, he luckily never had to deal with that during his career. So yeah. sometimes it was just monotonous, like, bullshit, because he's in a, a, a leadership role in, in charge of a bunch of people and maintenance control for planes. And, you know, I mean, it's fancy. You're on an aircraft carrier. You're working on these billion-dollar war machines. But at the end of the day, you're making sure this inspection's done and you're just doing your job. Meanwhile, me and my sister are going to school. My mom's going to work. We're taking vacations without him. And, uh, yeah, like, it really made me think of that more than anything else. Like, oh, shit. Like, I kind of... I kind of know what it's like to be on the other end of that dial of you, you know? This song is actually probably the most personal song for me uh, on the album. First of all, anytime that I, you know, if I'm looking for someone, I will either send them a text and say, I found your house and I saw your car, but I have no idea where you are. Even though nobody ever gets the reference, obviously. Uh, it, yeah, you're reaching it does for that remind one. me. Yeah, it does remind me of the time that me and Mike were going over to David Wendling's house because uh, he was supposed to have a party that night, and his car was there. We walked through his whole house. We couldn't find him, and we went to his room, and sitting on his desk was literally the biggest joint I have ever seen in my life, and we were kind of like perplexed as to why he would just leave this on his desk in his room. But Mike then grabbed a piece of paper and a pen and wrote, I found, I found your house, I saw your car, but I have no idea where you... The other thing about this song, too, is after, you know, I, I, I tend to refer to me moving to Wisconsin as, you know, kind of a forced thing, you know, because I guess it feels easier than, you know, to, to kind of joke about it like that. Um, but well, I know what you, you meant. You kind here. of left. You yeah. left to Wisconsin for the same reason I left Whidbey, man. You had to get your life together. You had to get into the right well, place and, and start making the exactly. right moves. And I mean, you know, I had my son here, but I, you know, I always kind of call it a forced move. So when I listen to this and I hear the lines, I dream at night of going sometime. That always that one's like a one-two gut punch, like. It, you know, there, I don't think there's any lyric, almost any lyric of any song that affects me more than that one. Maybe, maybe there, there's, there's a song off of their next album someday, a specific song that we'll get to later when we do that album. Maybe that one might punch me in the gut a little bit more, but I think that's the whole song. The, the, just that whole line right there about going home someday. It's it's a I think it's a bigger gut punch just for the fact that I know most likely it won't ever happen. Damn, John, that's deep. <laughs> they don't call me John Bummer for no reason. That's just when you're uh, not being John Cummer, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I still remember when uh, I think it was Tim New Year. Yep, Tim. Matthews. Yep. yep. Snuck into your. Uh, Hotmail account and changed your name to John Cummer, so all the emails that you were sending to family members. <laughs> yeah, I was a little <laughs> pissed when I realized what had happened. <laughs> oh, that's the funniest shit ever. 
Anyway, um, real quick, I want to say about Miner at the Dial of You. Um, this kind of... It's weird, he's, he's talking about the Dial of You. Like, this is some weird hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy-like contraption that people are going to use in the future. But he's really just talking about, like, a real-time version of Google Earth. Yeah, <laughs> that's... But you have to remember, that was before Google Earth. I know, it's just amazing how in such a short period of time, it's like something like that sounded so fantastical, and now it's like, I wonder what John's apartment complex looks like, and I could go do it right now if I wanted to. Exactly. It's fucking nuts. Um, um, and I also, I, I, real fact, quick, I, I want to say that I love the phone operator chorus, too. That just, it's it's kind of a theme with this album. There's all these heavy themes, and there's really hard and emotional moments, but they're always like little forms of like levity or lights at the end of the tunnel whether it be musically or lyrically and i feel like this phone operator chorus is just perfect like the music almost gets a little like cartoony a la pink floyd in the trial from the wall you know yeah how it's kind of almost this just it's a cartoon it's cartoony like it goes from really melancholy and sad and deep to this sneaky and menacing yeah, right. like it, it does he's super but it, it almost provided to me like it's it's almost telling a story like he's super bummed and it's like he's waiting in line to use the dial of view so he's thinking about all this stuff and then he gets up to the interface screen and it's just like monotonous technology hello and welcome yeah. to the dial of view like it's just okay here i gotta punch well, this it, thing it, in it, now he's looking at the stuff and it gets all melancholy again but then the dial of view pops the, up back up later on and the operator comes back up because he has to put in another like 10,000 space bucks in order to get the thing to continue looking at what he wants to look at. Well, the, the, the brilliant thing about that, too, is the music that's playing underneath the girl talking, you know, saying, welcome to Dial of You, that kind of sounds like music that would come from, you know, like a program or like, you know, background music of a video explaining how to use said technology. And then... The, the thing that is odd, you know, especially juxtaposed against what I just said about how I feel about the lines I dream out at night of going home sometime, it's actually not as sad on the album as I kind of made it out to be. It's actually hopeful. Yeah. The music gets really hopeful. And the other, there's another thing when I was with Noah at the uh, Mall of America's Nickelodeon Universe on Saturday, we were getting off of a ride and they had a recorded female voice telling us how to get off the ride and where to exit and go down. And I was like, holy shit, am I at the dial of you? And it was like <laughs> a surreal moment. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, do you have anything else to say about Minor at the dial of you? I do not. All right. Well, let's move on from the brain damage of this album right into its eclipse and uh, hear a, last, or a little bit of the last track so you'll aim towards the sky. What a closer, man. What a closer. I just... It, we it, it couldn't have talking, ended better. 
it couldn't have ended better like and did you was my comparison of brain damage eclipse okay with this did am i still oh, yeah, batting yeah. a thousand with my pink floyd oh yes Ooh. batting a thousand i I'm killing gonna, it with you know last last week we were talking about how you know stones from the sky is one of the best ending you know enders to an album this is also in that you know uh the very high ranking and and the the you know when it comes to great greatest album closers and definitely i would say almost the most beautiful one there is and the weirdest thing about it is is this song is like four different lines of lyric that and that's it just repeated over and over again but it works to great effect and it's so beautiful like i just i i couldn't imagine it, it yeah it, it's almost bringing a tear to your eye kind of be well and this is where i really felt that okay computer comparison is the way this song just soars and goes out i mean it it almost sounds like tom york in parts <laughs> yeah that 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 particular pitchfork inter- or review that i had uh was referencing earlier that was what they said where it, this was the most radiohead sounding and they said he even jason lytle even sounds a lot like tom york oh yeah um, I, I can't deny that i mean the rest of the album that i mean that's debatable besides the uh musical theme of you know analog instruments meeting digital you know yeah. in an unforgiving manner well, and, but beautiful and manner. i think i had even mentioned earlier when i was talking the okay computer uh when when they were comparing okay computer to this album I, I was saying that, you know, it's the last ha- quarter or half of it that, you know, I can see being more in tune with OK Computer. And really, I was kind of more referring to just this song. This song is definitely something that could have fit right on OK Computer. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And I really like how, I mean, just this album is, it carries themes from song to song and surprises you with them. And um, it does it again at the end of this song, I feel like. But good luck. Oh, and... Thank you. Yeah, the... The dial of you <laughs> service. He's still he's still in there. He's still looking. He's just... Yeah. He decided to aim at the sky because everything else was bombing him out. So he's like, well, at least I got this. Yeah. And it's talking about yeah. getting away from the pain. It just hurt too bad to keep looking back. So he's looking to the sky. He's looking ahead. He's going to move on. The uh, one thing I will say about this whole album, even though it gets compared to OK Computer, and OK Computer is one of two uh, Radiohead albums that I like pretty much all the way through. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to OK Computer that often, and I don't think I've given it a full listen from start to finish in a long, long time. But anytime I can, I could put this one in and enjoy it from start to finish. That is the one biggest difference for me is is that I think the re-listen the, the re-listen value of this album is a whole lot better than OK Computers. Gotcha. Yeah, I I I don't know, man. It's debatable. I I I I like both of the those these albums kind of the same. Like I I feel bad saying this because I know you had such a personal experience with this album when you were younger, but I didn't. And I discovered, I got actually around to listening to this in full, finally, um, just in the matter of the last couple of weeks. And uh, the same with OK Computer. That was something I got into actually for real just a few years ago. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's weird that I'm... I had all these opportunities to buy that album when I was younger, and I just never did, and I never borrowed it from anybody, and it just never came across, so I never heard the whole thing. And if I'm in the mood, I feel like these albums could be interchangeable, but I don't know. It's I do feel a little more connection with this album in particular. It does a little more of what I like. Yeah. When it comes to inde- independent See, I- indie music as... Things like this were called by music journalists in the late 90s and early 2000s. This indie music. It's not metal, it's not punk, it's indie music. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I had a strong connection with both of them because I, I got OK Computer shortly after it came out. Uh, and I listened to the hell out of it when it first came out. And even though I, at the beginning of this podcast, I thought I, I had said that I, you know, thought that I got this the year after um, the software slump came out. By my calculations, I, because it came out in May of 2000, right? Yeah, May 29. Yeah, I had to have had it by July of 2000. It was I somewhere you, around there. You definitely owned it before you saw them. Yeah. That's only a few months in between, the six months period of time. May yeah. and November of that year. So. Yeah, and that that was the other thing I was going to say is that um, this was the first time I saw them. That was a birthday present for Dad. I bought him and and uh, then we took uh, Sozi along with us, and he, they were actually opening for Elliot Smith, and we actually all kind of agreed that it was a lackluster performance that Granddaddy put on. And then we actually left about three songs into Elliot Smith's performance because it was kind of boring. I want to. I want to slap. I want to. I kind of want to slap you, <laughs> but I get it. Well, you weren't there. I mean, no. The, I, the, I the well, thing? Elliot Smith's music is something else, but to see it live, I you got to be in a certain mood for that. I mean, especially if it was just him. Oof. I mean, you got to. No, be- no. He was. He had a band. I mean, we walked out shortly after Waltz Number Two. Because yeah. that was like my favorite song by him, but was he I doing? Know... Was he doing shit off of a from a basement on the hill? I don't know. Hmm. But what I do know is is that he was very uh, not happy with the crowd, and hmm. he kept you know like calling out the crowd for not uh, being more energetic, and we, it kind of got old, and that's why we left about three or four songs in his performance wasn't anything. I mean, obviously when he's yelling at the crowd about them not being energetic, uh, and it's then like, you're Elliot Smith, you're one to talk. Yeah, I know. I was going to say putting on a performance that wasn't very energetic. He was like, yeah, I, I don't know how much longer I want to sit through this. So we left and I figured I would just catch him the next time he came through. But, uh, yeah, we all know what happened there. Is that his last tour? I, Pretty I mean, it was within it. a year. It was within a year or two. Yeah, yeah, tragic. But um, another thing that I now that we're at closed this album, and I don't know. Do you have any real quick though? Do you have anything to say about so you'll aim towards the sky? Anything more to add? Any? No, just that. I mean, it's a. I mean, again, it's one of those songs that just kind of speaks for itself. I mean, that the one there's one thing that I do think is really brilliant right before it kicks into the major like riff of the song because you know it starts with kind of that discordant acoustic guitar 
uh, when it does those four beeps, that would be almost like, like you know, a drummer's stick count or, you know, D.D. Ramone going, one, two, three, four. <laughs> when those beeps hit, I thought that that was the most brilliant way to, you know, kind of uh, get rid of that that old trope of, you know, someone counting or sticks clicking. Yeah, that's, I, I yeah, I, I can't help but agree with you there. But um, in listening to the software slump over the last week and a half or so, I um, in thinking about our next albums, pretty soon we we need to hit a road where we're gonna disagree on something <laughs> to keep this interesting. Yeah, is <laughs> is that going to be now when you you uh, tell me what album I have to uh, suffer through for the next week? Ah, uh, you know I don't really have anything on deck i just i keep i'm so excited to just talk about ones i know that we're both gonna love and i kind of want to keep that going if that's cool with you okay that's that's fine because i want to pick the next album and i have a feeling you're going to be totally okay with it because in listening to this album i felt like maybe the band i'm about to speak of may have heard this album and were kind of into it while they recorded uh their masterpiece, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and that'd be Wilco. Ah, yes, yes. Definitely one of my favorite albums. So I guess we're going to continue this streak for a little while longer. Yep, I'm going to need you to really come up with something. And I'm trying to think of something not too obvious, where you're just going to hate me. Something debatable. But yeah. But next week, I want to talk about Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, a masterpiece of an album by the band Wilco. So... You you down for that? Is that a yes? I'm I'm sure I, that is. I, I I thought I already said yes. Yeah, I think you did, and I'm just uh, doing this for theater. Well, hell yeah. yeah! So next week we're going to be listening to Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. For everybody listening, oh. give that a give that a listen, give that a spin, and we'll be hopefully uh, my son it. never. Hopefully my son never hears you say that you were ignoring me for theater. I, I know that that would end up getting into his canon of things that he would say to me. <laughs> does he have Facebook? <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> <laughs> at least as far as I know at the moment. Yeah, he could. <laughs> He's got his own phone, so if he does, he hasn't added me yet. <laughs> well, good for him. Let's hope <laughs> that's the case. Keep Dad yeah, out of it, Noah. Keep Dad out of it. <laughs> All right, well... Do you have anything else to say? I sure don't. Um, come check me out on Mixer at SwampLord underscore DG. Um, and keep posted to our various social media outlets that we'll be creating soon. I'm sure you heard by the bumper that we'll have on this episode. This is uh, done before we started publishing episodes. So, yeah, again, thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody, for checking out, us out. And uh, from me and for John... I want to say goodbye and good night. Goodbye.